0: Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu, Eko'olau. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and what did it teach us? Our Hope Restored sermon series continues. Here's First Pres lay pastor and executive coordinator, Jenny Sung, with the sermon, Jesus in Gethsemane.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Jenny Sung and I'm one of the lay pastors here uh, it's my pleasure to share God's word with you today. Do you realize that we've been going through the book of Mark now for over an entire year, it was January 7th, 2018, when Pastor Steve opened us up with the very first chapter first verse, which read, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the claim that this book opened up with. And as we've gone through the chapters, I mean we're on chapter 14 now. You know, we have studied and pondered and breathed in and and I think sometimes even wrestled with the scriptures in the book of Mark. And throughout we see in in the book of Mark people questioning, even his disciples questioning who Jesus is and what it means for him to be the Messiah, son of God who has come to save us. What does this mean? And we're in the passage today. It's the same evening as the Last Supper a few weeks ago. We learned about the the sacrament of communion. It's the same evening when Jesus shared he's about to be betrayed. And last week we heard like Peter's immediate response, like, no, I will never betray you, even if everybody else does. And uh, at the end of the evening, you know, they sing a hymn, and now they're outside. And they're walking, maybe in the cool of night to the Mount of Olives, which is this mountain ridge that used to be covered in olive trees. And at the base of the Mount of Olives, there's a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Will you join me and stand as we read the passage for today from God's Word? We're in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Let us read this together they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little further, He threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake, pray that you may not come into the time of trial, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough! The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, you may be seated. In this passage, we see a window into an incredibly intimate moment in the life of Jesus. It's a window into internal turmoil and anguish and pain as Jesus just lays bare his heart and his emotions to his friends and to the Father. He's praying and and knowing all the things that were about to come before him. And, you know, if you think about all the things that were about to come, you know, if it was me, just one of these things, I think, would just do me in. I mean, let's see, uh, the betrayal, an abandonment of all all his friends, his closest of friends. The horrifying physical torture, the whipping, the pain of what's to come. How about the mockery, the jeering, the humiliation And and I think this is probably the most horrifying part of it all. The separation from the love of his father and bearing the entire weight of all sin upon himself. In The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begins to feel just this anguish and desolation of what's to come. Gethsemane means pressing oil, right? Oil press. And boy, do we see Jesus just being pressed. This internal turmoil as he wrestles and he's praying. And in the book of Luke for the scene, it says that Jesus being in anguish prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus takes his three closest, right? His inner circle, Peter, James, and John, as we all rely on the comfort of close friends when we're in great sorrow. And he asks, can you stay here and take watch? It's like, you know, when we ask our friends, can you come and just sit here for a while? Will you sit? And he's asking for a measure of comfort from friends. Jesus turns and and then confesses the depth of his turmoil to them. He says, I'm deeply grieved even to death. And uh, the pain seems to be more than he can possibly bear. You know, last week we heard Peter's quick response, right? Remember, he's like, no, I will never betray you when Jesus says something. So I'm like, well, where's, where's Peter's line here in this passage? I mean, wouldn't you say something if, if your teacher, your friend was saying, you know, I'm, I'm so sad, my sorrow, I feel like I'm dying. Wouldn't you kind of say something of comfort, you know, something? There's nothing recorded here. And I, and I think we're beginning to sense even the separation that Jesus is feeling from the disciples. You know, I wonder what's going on. Maybe they're in denial of what Jesus has been trying to tell them, you know, that he's going to be betrayed, all will fall away. And I wonder, are they unable to process what is happening or maybe even just handle, handle it? Or, you know, it's been a long night. Maybe they're exhausted. You know, they fall asleep three times, right? They just keep nodding off. But here we see just zero response to a pretty heavy statement. I am grieved to the point of death. And Jesus goes off a bit further and and, uh, here's when we see kind of the full weight of what's happening as he just falls to the ground. Verse 35 says, He threw himself upon the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, which means my father, it's a direct personal term of relationship, close relationship. He says, Abba, my father, for you all things are possible. I know this. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And he asks this three times. Three times he says the word. Will you remove this cup from me? And we know that Jesus has been having daily conversations with the Father, right? He often went off to pray, and, and he had close, intimate communion with the Father. But this one was a poignant interaction. And what we see here in the Garden of Gethsemane is brutal honesty and vulnerability. He's laid bare. And John Calvin says that while bowing to the Almighty's will, Jesus admits honestly his dread of what's to come upon him. Please, could this hour pass? Will you take this cup? My grief is to the point of death. And I think what Jesus was experiencing was was sort of starting of this ripping at the seams. You know, the separation. Have you ever heard like Velcro being ripped apart? It's like, shh. Or, or you see seams being torn. And it's the foreseeing of the separation of being apart from his Father. And when you think about the Trinity, we worship a triune God. It's, it's the perfect love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about that perfect union and harmony of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an intimate communion since the beginning of time, can you imagine the pain and loss that one would feel if, if you were just separated from that relationship of perfect love. Can you imagine that? I think in human terms, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this, um, one of the greatest pains uh, I think one could suffer is, is probably the death of a loved one. You know, uh, maybe it's the loss of a spouse, or a sibling, a parent, or a child. And I'm not gonna stand here and assume to understand the impact of loss for somebody, we're all different. But I can share from my own experience. And I know that when my husband of 24 years just suddenly passed away, the loss that I felt was the most pain that I had ever experienced. You know, I've heard someone describe the loss like, like losing a limb, like it's just torn off your body and, and it gone, and, and, it, and it felt like that for me. You know, it felt like my heart was just like ripped open and parts of it removed and gone the separation from the love of my life, the closest person to me on the face of this earth. At that moment, the pain was so deep, I felt I could hardly breathe. And it's Tim Keller who wrote all of his life because of Jesus' eternal dance with the Father and the Spirit. Whenever he turned to the Father, the Spirit flooded him with love. God is the source of all love, all life, all light, all coherence. I love that word, right? coherence. There's meaning. And therefore, exclusion from God is exclusion from the source of all light, all love, all life, all coherence. What Jesus began to experience is, is a spiritual, cosmic, infinite disintegration of what would happen when he became separated from his Father on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is beginning to sense this disintegration. And he who's fully divine, but also fully man, fully human, experiences the depth of human emotion, the depth of sorrow and dread and anguish, despair. In this moment, Jesus is pouring his heart out He's come and done. He's on the ground, and there are just beads of sweat dropping like blood on the ground. He's asking God for another way. Have you ever asked God for another way? You know, if I had a dollar for every time I've asked God to remove something another way, I think I'd be pretty rich. Uh, how many of you, like, love espresso at the Hebrews bar? I could probably pay for all your espresso for the rest of your life if, if you knew the number of times. You know, uh, it was just, like, a couple weeks ago, actually, when I distinctly remember pleading and praying for a cup of suffering to be removed. It was just this desperate prayer. Uh, I was supposed to preach a couple weeks ago, and... Um, I got hit with the dreaded type A influenza. It's like the worst kind of flu that you can possibly get. And it was Saturday, and I I was shivering and sweating and just... And, and, you know, if I could best describe it, and, and please, I pray none of you ever feel this way, it felt like every muscle and every bone in my body was just melting and being reconstituted into mush, and it was just this and i was um supposed to preach so you know i'm praying i'm like praying lord remove this fever remove the suffering, remove the pain. And I started to plead. Well, just, just remove the cup just halfway. You know, remove the pain just enough so like, like I could maybe sit on a stool and I could like prop myself up and then I could like <laughs> cling to the podium and then amplify the volume so that I could like get talking and it, it would be okay. Just Lord, remove this from my life. I was just freaking out. I think this control that I have, this sin of control in my life, and uh, I prayed, Lord, please remove this just so I can get through three services. It's all I'm asking. Uh, and I was texting Pastor Dan, right? I, Pastor Dan, I think I'm sick, but I, I'm going to push through this. I can do this. He calls me, and he's like, nah, no, no, you can't. No, no, you can't push through this. And uh, he's trying to counsel me on the phone, and I'm like, no, I think I can do it. I, I, I'm going to push through this. I get that. And he's like, no, can you think about the number of people you'll infect, you know? And, uh, I was like, no, I, I can't do this, I'm, I'm not a." And he's like, you sound like my 90-year-old grandmother, you're not preaching. <laughs> and uh, boy, uh, uh, alas, I had to surrender, I, I did not preach, and I, I think I missed about three major things that week, including a flight, an Outer Island flight, where we were supposed to go and support the churches at, might be launching just show up in, in, their, in their congregation. And boy, um, God bless Pastor Dan. You know, he, he prepared a sermon in less than 12 hours and preached three services. God bless our senior pastor. But You know, we all, yes, <laughs> we all face difficult circumstances in life. Um, this seems kind of silly when I look back on it, but I was desperate. And every tough road, every difficult conversation, a conflict, a struggle that we have, I mean, isn't it, isn't it the first thing we're like, ah, Lord, please just take this cup from me? Can you remove this from my life? Take it away. And then there's times when the desolation of things is, is just uh, feels like more than we could possibly bear, right? Maybe just this chronic pain you have in your life or, or a devastating diagnosis. There's a financial struggle and there's huge loss and you don't know what's gonna happen. Maybe it's an addiction or a, a fractured marriage, a painful relationship, the betrayal of a close friend. And, and we think if, if you can just remove this cup, please take it. If we can just get off this path, Lord, will you change the circumstances? And often the quickest way, off the road of conflict, struggle, pain, seems to be our plea. Please take this away. Remove this cup from my life. Remove this person from my life. If this person was just gone from my workplace, my my relationship, or or if you're like me, a planner and love control, (laughs) remove this uncertainty from my life. I don't know what's gonna happen, Lord. Can you please remove the uncertainty? Remove the fill in the blank. On the road of suffering, uh, you know, it's, it's not always possible that we just get off the path. The circumstances may not always change. The thorn may not be removed, the person may not disappear, and the cup may not be taken away so quickly. So I ask this question, in the garden of Gethsemane, in the garden of your Gethsemane, in that space, Can we give up control over the circumstances of our lives and submit our desires to God? Can we walk the path that Jesus walked, which was ultimately a path of surrender and obedience to the will of the Father? In the end, we hear Jesus' words, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is surrender and obedience to the will of the Father. I've been taking this course at Fuller Seminary on addiction and recovery. And it's one of the best courses that I've taken in seminary. And I think we, as the people of God, as the church, we have so much to learn from the practices of ministries and recovery. Practices like transparency and, and powerlessness, deep listening to one another, and the power of surrender. You know, there's a video that I'd like to share with you, and, and parts of this video, it kind of teaches us maybe how to view surrender. You know, a lot of times we think of surrender like, well, you, you lost, you just lost, you failed. You know, and I, and I think that um, when we come on the other side of it, we realize that we actually gained, we gained so much more than what we thought we even lost in the first place. So let's watch this video.
2: You know, when the, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, you know, John the Baptist, his, his disciples have a great prayer. We don't have a prayer. Like, we want a prayer. We're your disciples. We want the Jesus prayer. And, and, you know, the very beginning of that is addressing God, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the first thing we say is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the place, surrendering my will to the will of God, which was the the day-to-day challenge that Jesus faced right up until the greatest challenge of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what lay ahead in the hours to come. And even in that place, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth says, If there's any other way than this, yet not my will, thy will be done. That moment of surrender led to the events that give me the capacity on occasion to do what Jesus invited me to pray, which was to say to God, your will be done not mine. If
3: I look back on the occasions when surrender's been the centerpiece of my spiritual journey and think, you know, holy smokes, I was just getting rid of baggage. I was getting rid of stuff that nobody needs, you know, all that self-reliance stuff that uh, no one can sustain for for a lifetime uh, and just leads to uh, an isolated, uh, diminished existence. So surrender, once you've experienced that a few times and found that on the other side of it you've got more rather than less, I think it feels differently inside. It doesn't feel like you're losing stuff. Um, and I think in, you know, in the history of the Christian tradition, there's plenty of examples of how surrender's gone bad and has uh, been used uh, to distribute shame and uh, to hurt people, but uh, there's also plenty of wonderful examples of people who have experienced uh, turning their lives over to God or whatever language you want to use there and found that uh, on the other side of that, it's uh, it's a better place to be. And um, sometimes you fall into the hands of a loving God sinners falling into the hands of a loving graceful tender heart and slow to anger god and uh, that's a kind of experience that uh, will change one's life forever i think
1: i love these videos because uh, they're just thoughtful but they're also just real they're just really real and um, if you want to know there are more on this series, I'd be happy to share the website with you. The, the gentleman at the end there um, is Pastor Dale Ryan. He's an associate professor and director of the Fuller Institute for Recovery Ministry. And you know, I think a, a lot of times uh, our options that we choose, we choose to run away from God. You know, uh, we might, we might uh, deny or avoid. Uh, sometimes we really turn to unhealthy choices uh, to cope with the pain and um, a lot of times we run away from the arms of a loving God. When we choose the path of surrender, it is into the arms of a loving God and we can receive his mercy and his grace and restoration. It's in the struggle in this Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus submit himself to the will of the Father and step forward in obedience. It's the words, "Not what I want, but what you want." In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus doesn't deny his emotions, and he doesn't avoid the suffering. In fact, Tim Keller notes that Jesus loves into the suffering, and in the midst of his suffering, he obeys for the love of the Father and for the love of us. It's First Peter chapter three, verse 18, that says, "For Jesus." also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit jesus fulfilled the requests of all requests by taking on the sins of the world and sacrificing his life for all of us This request really puts an end to all requests because he paid for sins once for all. It's done, it's final, it's finito, and we don't have to bear the judgment of sin ever. He took that. It's really a mission of love, a mission of love that Jesus was called to accomplish on earth for us. Jesus went to the chasm the abyss, the pit of despair, the suffering, separation from the perfect love of the Father, because he will stop at nothing for us. There is nothing, neither death, nor life, angels or demons, the present or future, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation, nothing shall separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We are precious children of God, sons, daughters. And no matter how many times you replay this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will always choose you. He will always choose you. Because what Jesus does is motivated only by love. It's a love that pursues and redeems. It's a love that brings healing and hope. And that's why the sermon series is called Hope Restored. Because God's love restores hope in our lives for all eternity. As I close the sermon, I ask, as a people of God, as the body of Christ, as the church, how can we model honesty and vulnerability and cultivate safe spaces of being broken open in community? How do we do that? Jesus modeled for us what's honest and real, a transparency before God and his friends. When we're honest and authentic, there's a stripping away of a facade, of, of this management, of, of how I'm supposed to look to you and what you're supposed to see me as and how I manage all of that. There's something about a space of being broken open and vulnerable, I think that allows us to receive the grace of God, to receive his love, and secondly, as, as the body, as the people of God, how do we then help one another in this path of surrender and obedience as we fall into the arms of a gracious and loving God? How do we carry one another? Bless you. Bless you again. <laughs> you know, the creation of safe spaces is one that we must pursue with great intentionality. It doesn't kind of just happen. These uh, safe spaces um, has to be pursued very um, intentionally and I think with great wisdom. In the church, no church is perfect, but I think we've tried to cultivate some spaces here. You know, places of honesty and vulnerability and and community and, and some of the examples, I think we see it in spaces like Rooted, where you come together as a small group and then you're, you're sharing your story and you're being transparent and there's deep listening and we're confessing strongholds, praying for one another. And then there are spaces like Alpha where you can come and, and in a small group again, you're asking the meaning of life and you can ask anything you want and there's no judgment. And there are spaces like Grief Share and Divorce Care, Stephen Ministry, where we're carried and we're caring to one another. There's prayer and healing services, there's Women's Connection, Band of Brothers, there's small groups and, and so many other things. And you know, I would hope that as a people of God, it's not just within these walls that we're, we're, we're in these safe spaces, but it's outside the walls, right? You are going out there and creating safe, sacred spaces of vulnerability and carrying others to the loving arms of Jesus in your areas of work and rest and play. Now, one thing I do want to note, um, the transformation is not going to be of your will and your doing. You know, transformation happens through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our own, right? It's, it's God's. He does the work. And it's just in relationship with God and with other people as we're faithfully submitting our lives to God and surrendering and we're carrying one another that, that it's God who transforms hearts and minds. Isn't that kind of comforting? Do we dare to be a community that's honest and open before God and, and one another? Can we be real and vulnerable? And can we obey and place our trust in the one who took the cup for us? All because of the love of the Father and for the love of us. As we ponder the love of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'd like to close with. Two questions that Chris Pan always asks in his sermons. What is Jesus saying to you right now? And what will you do about it? Let's take a moment of silence. Then I'll close this in prayer. Come Holy Spirit. We want more of you, Lord. Lord, as we think about your struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, we cannot but be in awe of the love, an overwhelming love that sacrifices, pursues, and redeems, and restores us. Lord, we want to surrender to you the things that bind and you know what you know us so well you know what holds us from wholeness you know what's holding us back from experiencing freedom in you and and walking in loving relationship with you will you fill us with your holy spirit help us to trust you and obey with greater measure each day and to carry one another into your loving arms in Christ's name we pray amen you no know, part of practicing honesty and vulnerability is that we pray with one another. And if there's something God has put on your heart, I invite you to come forward after the service and pray. One of the prayer team members and staff, we would love to pray with you. Will you please stand as we close with this blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you And may he be gracious unto you. And may you always know the deep love of Jesus Christ within your hearts as we continue to pursue him in surrender and obedience May we fall into the arms of the loving and gracious God. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.
0: If even Jesus, while on this earth, gave himself up to God's will, all the more we should too. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kionaole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Pres on Twitter and Facebook. Download that brand new First Prez app and watch First Prez Sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan John and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Koalao.